All right, let's, let's, I'm going to uh, open up in prayer because obviously I want prayer for myself since I'm going to be speaking to you and I don't want to flub this up. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you just for who you are and what you've done. And God, I just pray tonight that your, that your spirit just falls here, that, that falls on me and that, that I communicate, communicate clearly what, uh, what you have to say, not, not my agenda, but your agenda. And God, I just pray that you open ears, that you open hearts, and uh, that you just, through me, communicate um, what you want to say. God, we just uh, pray these things in the precious name of your, your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I promise that I have a, a college football analogy, and I, it, there's no... I had this analogy way before Florida State won this weekend, and the University of Florida lost. And it was already there. It was in the notes, I promise. I, I, I don't have a date on here, but I promise it was already, already in there. But it has nothing to do with either team. Um, but it, uh, it is interesting that Florida State was the team that could actually be victorious over the state of Alabama. So, revel in that for a minute. And, by the way, that was the wrongest thing you, you've done to me since I've been on staff, was to dress my daughter in a Florida Gator cheerleading outfit. Gracie and, and my daughter Ella spent a lot of time together. And she was over at Antley's house today. And I don't know, was it Blake or who, who was it? Was it you? It's, yeah, I don't know. She was in a cheerleading, I mean, Florida Gator cheerleading outfit. But Gracie plays a lot at my house as well, so beware. Never know. Um, but anyway, um, I, this, this passage of Scripture that, that I'm a, we're going to dig into tonight is just kind of odd, odd to be honest with you. I, I don't know how I ended up here. I kind of have this little reading thing that I do, and I ended up here, and I usually don't use those readings particularly for messages, um, but God just kept bringing me back to it. And I didn't know what the application was going to be. And, you know, Wednesday came along and I'm like, I have no idea what you want to say. Thursday came along. I just had no application. But that scripture, I just kept reading it. And it's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. And it's about um, David's fighting men, the 37 fighting men. And to start out, I wanted to give a kind of a, a college football, pro football analogy of <clears throat> this group of elite fighting men that David had. Um, kind of when he, right before he was going to be anointed king. And I'm hoarse, too, because I was at the Alabama FSU game screaming for FSU. So pardon me, my popping voice and kind of being hoarse. But in, division, uh, in college football, they have all these divisions. Um, they have Division 1A, which is kind of the, the, the top division. That's the division where Florida State, Florida, um, Alabama, USC... There's 119 teams in Division 1A. There's a lot of them, but there's also a Division 2, a Division 1 AA, Division 2, Division 3. It goes on, but that's the that's where the crux of the. I mean, when when students come out, high school football players come out, and they go Division 1A, you know they're pretty studly. They're they're a pretty good elite crew in high school football. Well, there's 119, 120 Division 1A teams, and they have approximately 125 that they're allowed on the roster, and 85 are allowed. Um, there by scholarship. So that's roughly 15,000 players um, that you have on, in college football, and just in Division 1A. Well, that gets really narrowed down when it comes to the NFL draft. If they want to move on and really go to the elite elite, 255 of those 15,000 
get recruited or get um, drafted every year into the NFL draft for the third. They have seven rounds of 32 teams. And of those 255, the likelihood that most of the ones in the bottom four rounds of the draft that are ever going to play or ever going to do anything is not likely. So there really is an elite crew of about 100 college football athletes that move on to the pros that actually, you know, are, are you know, worth a darn. And as the, as the, uh, as the elite goes, um, you've got, in the NFL, you have 32 teams and you have about 53 on each team, but only 45 are allowed to dress out. So as the numbers go, you've got 32 teams times 45. That's 1,445 NFL players. And these are the elite of the elite of the elite. These are the guys that make the big bucks. These are the guys that, that um, are just amazing, strong, just beastly athletes. And of those, there's another realm of eliteness. And that is the 100 that get selected for the Pro Bowl. So out of that 1,445, every year they have something called the Pro Bowl where they pick the best of the best of the best of the best. And there's 100 of them. And those are like the unbelievable, as far as football is concerned, these guys are the 100 best football players in the world. So out of that 15,000 that start out in Division 1A in college, and there's some that come from the other divisions, but the most of them come from Division 1A in college, 15,000 down to this 100 elite. And this passage in Scripture talks about um, David's mighty men. And just to give you some context of where this, this, this is in 2 Samuel, David, um, God had begun to, or decreed or allowed a monarchy to begin with King Saul. It means they were going to start having kings, you know, this, this monarchy. Saul was the first king, and then David was to be the next king. And Saul and David didn't get along real well. And this, at this point, Saul had died. And these are the, this is the account of the men that kind of surrounded David. This was his elite crew of 37 men. And he had even a, a higher elite crew of three that kind of were the elite of the elite. And I want to start here just to give you kind of an idea of how bad to the bone these guys were. Um, in Second Samuel 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And these names, I can see why nobody ever wants to preach on this because these names are brutal to pronounce. Um, Joshub Basabeth, a Tachamanite, he was the chief of the three, and he wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. I mean, that is bad to the bone. That is unbelievable. And it goes on, if you, if you, read, if you read on, I'm not going to read all of them, but there was another guy. Um, uh, now, Bashab, brother of Joab, the son of... Zarai, the chief of the 30, and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them in one, a name to be beside the three, the elite three within the 37 that David had real kind of as a, as a close crew, close knit crew to him. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. So he was, he could you know, knock out 300 men in one battle, but he still wasn't part of that elite type tight-knit crew that, that David had around him. And as I was going throughout my week and I'm reading this, I was like, this is really cool. You know, this is a neat little scripture. I just thought it was amazing that David had these men. And they were so much, I mean, to compare them to college football is almost silly because they were so much more unbelievable and skilled than college football players. They were selected out of 1.5 million of the Israelite soldiers, 37 
out of 1.5 million. So, I mean, these guys were the it. I mean, they were, they were, they were, they were it. So I started to, to, to look and, and pray and say, God, give me something from this. You know, there's, there's got to be something there. So I began to look and started to put myself in the position of these different, well, you know, am I David? Am I the mighty man? You know, I, I'm kind of self-centered. So I figured, you know, who am I in this story? And I started to think about what, what is David in the midst of? And, and why does he require these 37 men? Why did he need that elite three that he was close to? You know, what was the purpose in that? And Israel was the, was the promised land. And although it was the promised land, they are, always, they are always at war. Still today, Israel is completely just surrounded by countries that hate them and want to just crush their borders. And their borders were, have changed all throughout history. And at this point in time, the, the Philistines were just constantly just... And they were in battle, with, in battle with the Philistines. And David was never safe. Just, that, just for David to sleep at night... He needed to have bodyguards. He needed to have people that were surrounding him, people that were protecting him, people that had, you know, that could actually, you know, kill 300 men. That's the kind of people that he needed around him. Um, and he looked for specific characteristics in these guys. And I was, I was looking to see, see, you know, where does this, how does this relate to me personally? And what, is, what does this kind of have for me? And I thought, you know, I'm not in any battle. And then all of a sudden the light kind of went on. I said, well, I am in a battle. I am in a war. And I thought, immediately thought of Ephesians six twelve, which says, but we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm in a battle. David was in a physical battle for the promised land. He was, he was constantly being, war was being waged against David. People were constantly wanting to take him out. And I guarantee you that around us, the things that we don't see, the enemy wants to take us out. And there is a need for us to, to have people that are around us that have some of the qualities that these guys had. Um, number one, they were strong. These are the guys that David sought out. They were in 2 Samuel 24, 8, I already read. I mean, they had guys could, they were so strong in the Lord. They were amazingly strong. And they were selfless. There's this passage of Scripture that, that just tells you exactly how selfless these guys were. It was all about their dedication and loyalty to David. And this is uh, 2 Samuel 14. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. That is by the gate. And then the three mighty men. These are the, the three, you know, kick butt guys at the top of this list of 37. They broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well. I mean, I, I can imagine this. I mean, I, I don't think they just walked into the camp of the Philistines. They battled their way in to Bethlehem to get a drink of water for David. They drew water out of the well in Bethlehem at the, by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. And David was absolutely just broken at this point. David was absolutely crushed at this point. I mean, he couldn't believe that these guys would absolutely risk life and limb to go into the camp of the Philistines to bring him a drink of water. And this is what David does. He says, Far be it from me, O Lord, Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives 
therefore he would not drink it. It says in First Chronicles that he poured it out to the Lord. And these things the three mighty men did. So they were selfless. I mean, these guys did not care about themselves. They cared more about David and the cause of the battle that David was fighting and waging. And John fifteen thirteen says, greater, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that was the kind of guys these guys were. And the other thing that I think David was looking for was men that were full of the Spirit. And in First Chronicles twelve eighteen, it's got a little segment here where he's these men are starting to be drawn to him. They, he, he didn't have all the thirty seven right away. It was like as the different tribes, as he was approaching that that appointment where he was going to be anointed king, these men were starting to be drawn to himself just just by the by the spirit of God. And let's see here, I lost my place. Here we go. And this is a particular guy named Amazah. And it says, The Spirit clothed Amazah, the chief of the thirty. David had kind of questioned whether or not he was going to be one of these loyal guys. He was from the tribe of Benjamin who was connected to Saul, who was trying to kill David. And he had questioned him. And he, he said, then this, then the, this is what the word says. The Spirit clothed Amazah, the chief of the thirty. And he said, We are yours, O David. And with you, O son of Jesse. Peace. Peace to you and peace to your helpers. For your God helps you. And every, um, not every, but most of the commentary that I read about the scripture said of these men that the Spirit filled them. That these guys were full of the Spirit. And you think about the things that they did. That they wielded their spear against 300 men. Or their swords against 300 men. There was one guy in here that defeated a giant. Basically barehanded. He took his stuff from him and beat him with it. I mean, they were just amazing And you have to think and you have to know from what we read in Scripture that these guys were completely full of the Spirit. They were full of the Holy Spirit. So those were the three characteristics that David was looking for. These guys were strong. They were selfless. They would give up everything. And that they were full of the Spirit. So as I kept thinking about this passage in Scripture and what we are supposed to look for in people that are supposed to surround us, I thought, okay... We're supposed to be connected to a a strong body, the 37, you know, a church. We're supposed to be connected in an intimate way to those people and be ready to fight with those people and have those people ready. And the people that we're supposed to have closest to us, that intimate three, I was thinking, well, those are the kind of people that I want to draw to myself. I want to have people that are selfless, that that will absolutely go the extra mile to intercede for me when I'm down, intercede for me so that I can sleep and so that I can rest and have relationships with those those people that are close, that are absolutely sold out for me. And then I kept thinking, okay, how else does this apply? How else does this apply to me? And the more I thought about it, I thought, I'm supposed to take on the characteristics of the mighty men. I'm supposed to be selfless. I'm supposed to be one of those people that should be desired by others to be in those relationships where people trust me where people know that I will go the extra mile to protect them, where people know that I will be on my knees interceding for them, where people know that I'm going to be strong in the Lord for them. And I thought about Jesus. You know, know, this talk of, you know, this is the elite crew and these are the elite people and these are the people that are here. 
It's not, it's not that we're supposed to be these strong and mighty warriors or these strong and mighty people. But I look at Jesus and I look at Peter, James, and John, that Jesus selected them specifically. And they were kind of the, the, the group. There was nothing special about these guys, but Jesus surrounded himself with these, two, these three close friends. And Jesus would go places and he would only take the three. And he would actually tell them, you know, don't tell the other guys, you know, where we, where we went or what you saw. You know, I want to keep this between us. And he had Jesus desired. I mean, just for practicality purposes, he knew that when he went into a certain house that he couldn't bring this whole crew of dudes in there. He just brought the three. And those were the three that he brought. So it got me thinking that, that I should take on those qualities and asking the question, why don't I? Because I was looking at my own life and I was like, do I have anybody in my life that I feel that connected to, that I feel like I would pour out everything for, that... I feel like they're full of the Spirit and that I'm full of the Spirit. And there's a give and take. There's this kind of protective relationship for the battle that we're in. And I thought, why, why don't we have those relationships? Why don't I have those relationships? And I think sometimes we're not loyal as Christians. We, we divide over some of the stupidest things. I think we get into doctrinal issues where we're like, you know, he's kind of off here on this obscure secondary issue. And we kind of eliminate them from the possibility of being one of those people that we're extremely close to, that we depend on, just because of some doctrinal issue. You know, I mean, we all had that basic Christian orthodoxy down, that sin is a problem, and Jesus is the answer. The Bible is true, and the Word of God, and hell is hot. And beyond that, there's a lot of secondary junk that we drag along, that we, we divide over that we divide over. And we have to get over that. I think there's the cool factor. I think sometimes we, you know, we select our, the people that we surround ourselves with, not because they're selfless, and not because they're full of the Spirit, not because they're strong in the Lord, but because these are the people I kind of connect with. These are the people that I kind of jive with. And I started thinking about that whole cool thing. And I was thinking, I am, you know, cool is such a strange word, first of all. But cool is just a limited spectrum of life where I think you are actually cool. And how many of you are, how many of you are 23 or younger? There's a lot, a lot of you that are 23 or younger. You're cool. I, I mean, that's, I think there's that small window where you're that age. You're cool. How many of y'all are older than 23? You're not cool. I mean, to be honest with you. I try to be. I try to wear cool clothes and wear sandals and do my hair and be cool. But the simple fact is, is I'm going to come in here half the time with throw up on my shirt for my kids. You know, you just get beyond a certain age where cool just doesn't matter anymore. And we, yeah. Is that obvious? Have I made that that obvious? Um, and that's just one of those things that I think we have to remove from that criteria when we're we're trying to find people to surround ourselves with, like David did, when we're trying to be those people that are selfless, that are full of the Spirit. I think we're innately selfish sometimes with our time. I know as college students, and as when you're younger, when you're in that 23 and younger set, it's easy to connect. You have a lot more connective tissue. You're all in college, or you're just getting out of school in your careers, and there's a lot of commonality. But as you get older and you have kids and it just it becomes more difficult and more difficult. You move to different places and you kind of get dispersed. 
and making those connections and finding those people that you have these relationships with that, we bat- that you battle together with, it just becomes harder and harder. And we become more selfish. We just want to be at home. We don't really want to go the extra mile or make the effort to connect with those people. Another thing that we do is we don't, we don't forgive. I don't think we love well sometimes in the body of Christ. I was thinking of um, the guy Ted Haggart, you know, when he had that just huge moral failure. And it seemed like the Christian community were, were the ones that were throwing, with the exception of a few, were the ones that were throwing them under the bus. And we, we eliminate people immediately. You know, we, somebody has a moral failure like that that's public, and they're absolutely, they, it seems like they're cut off from the body of Christ. You know, and it's, it's shocking. It's shocking how we do that. I think about David. One of his 37 men was, guess who? It was Uriah. You know who Uriah was? Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. And David put him on the front lines so that he would be killed, so that he could have his wife. And those 37 men stayed dedicated to David. Now, murder. He had one of the 37, one of those men that were completely, closely tied to him, killed, so that he could have his wife. That's some sin right there. But that, those relationships stayed intact. Those men knew that there was a higher goal and a higher purpose. And that brings me to my last point. This is the big one. I kept searching because I thought there's got to be more than just the whole you know, intimate relationship with the body of Christ. You know, having a, a, a church, a group of that, those 37 fighting men and women that we battle with. And then having those to- tight relationships with people. And I read this verse, and it was just like a light bulb. In First um, Chronicles chapter 12, verse 38, it says this. All these men, all, all these men of war arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with full intent to make David king. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of single mind to make David king. There was one purpose. There was one thing. There was one thing that they had in mind when they were at war, when they were battling, when they were, when they were protecting David, is to make sure that he was anointed king, to make sure that he was king over all of Israel. And I began, it started to get really clear at this point what God was trying to direct me to. And I know this is a journey, but it was a journey for me going through all this scripture. In Luke 10, 40-42, it says this. And this is a, um, Mary, the, the story about Mary and Martha and, and Martha being, being busy and wanting, wanting Mary to engage. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary knew what it was all about. Those 37 men knew what it was all about. The elite three knew what it was all about. It was one thing. It was one thing that we're fighting for. 
There's one thing that we're battling for. One thing that we're going for. There's a reason that we're supposed to have a, have a, have a battlefield mentality. There's a reason that we're supposed to gather people to ourselves to be in battle. What is the battle for? It is to make Him famous. It is to lift Jesus up. Mary knew it. Martha was busy doing tons of stuff. She was just doing all the things. And it made me think of ministry. It made, it made me think of the body of Christ that sometimes we get so distracted. I mean, on a, on a church staff, it's very easy. You, you get into the minutia of daily ministry. And you're doing this one task and this one task and this thing over here. And when we're thinking about going into ministry, we're thinking about the things that we're going to do, you know, in the world. And we're like, yeah, I'm going to be part of this social justice thing. And I'm going to do some stuff over here. And I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer at Hollybrook. And I'm going to do some of these things over here. And none of it, none of it matters. Without that one thing. Without that one purpose. I love every one of you. I love River City Church. And I love that we're a place that people come and they get healed. And we're, the, the broken feel like... This is a place where God is going to restore me. God is going to use this place to restore me. But we have an agenda here. And that is to make Him famous. That is for His name to be lifted high. For that one thing. For that one thing. Those men were at full intent to make David king. They were of single-mindedness to crown Him king. And it is a picture of Christ. He is to be lifted up. He is to be lifted high. And that is our goal, is for us to to lift Him up, to praise Him, and to see others lift Him up, to see this community lift Him up, to see the nations lift up His name and praise Him. I think we always get into that conversation, that, that language of, you know, we want to get people saved. But I prefer the picture of, I want to see the world in unison, lifting up the name of Jesus. Psalm 27, 4. Let me see if I, I might have already lost my place here. It says this. One thing have I asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. David knew it. You know, we're ta- we keep talking about, about David. David knew it, I think, better than most. That that was what this was all about. It was about lifting him up. It was about being in his presence. It was about making his name known. I loved what Paul said tonight. Because I feel like that's such a picture of the body of Christ. That you've got two camps. You've got the people that are going for it. And I always think of uh, like a, a rushing river that's the, just the story of redemption of God. And the 37 are in it. And they're heading because they know what they're doing. They know what their single-minded goal, their purpose is. Mary knew it. David knew it. They're in the river. And then you've got all these people on the banks and they're watching. They see that it's perilous. They see that it's dangerous. They see that it's crazy. But they see that there's purpose. That it's headed in a direction. That they have a goal. And my fear is to be on the banks. I do not want to be on the banks watching this 
story of redemption and being a part of that. Being a part of having the nations, having this community, having people raise up the name of Jesus. I do not want to be on the banks looking at those people and thinking, that's where I should be. And that's where I should be. We want to be in that. We want to be headed in that direction. And we want to be going for it. Romans 14.11 says that every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But we have the opportunity to be a part of that. We have an opportunity to, to, to be in that. And be a part of that. The, the elite fighting force. To be a part of that 37. That bring about people shouting Jesus' name. Lifting up His name. As we bond, as we unify as a body, as we love one another, as we gather and as we go, we do it with a single heart and a single mind to lift Him up, to see others lift Him up for who He is, for what He's done. I'm going to end with this verse in Philippians. I'm all over. Three thirteen. But one thing I do. Paul knew it. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's stand up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna move into prayer ministry and just as you think about where we're supposed to be in the body of Christ and what we're supposed to be doing, as you think about how we're supposed to unify and what that means, it's so much less about being this mighty warrior that can wield a sword. Because if you look at Mary, she was at Jesus' feet. If you, if you read what Lex read, it was a woman using her hair to wash Jesus' feet. I mean, it doesn't require anything of you but your willingness to be selfless and surrender. And that's what the call is tonight. It's just a surrendering. It's laying down all the baggage, all the stuff that keeps us from being a unified body for the purpose of lifting up His name. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank You and praise You just for Your Word, for how it speaks to us that we can go over Scripture over and over again, year after year, and it changes, it's living, it's active. It tells us different things and new things as we read it, but yet it's consistent and it's full of truth. God, I just pray tonight that You fall on this body of believers. That You bring us strength. That You make us humble and selfless, willing to just give our lives up for each other and that we are full of the Spirit of God. Your Spirit falls on us powerfully to enable us to do great and mighty things that lift up Your name, that call people to Yourself. 
I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's just uh, remain standing. We're just, I'm just going to wait on the Lord and just see.